0: Um, just uh, I have to tell you that um, we're in week seven of this format of, of being away from each other physically gathered but uh, just sharing God's Word with you through a camera um, it's still uh, really no more comfortable to me now than it was seven weeks ago um, I long to see your faces and uh, just to see how you're responding to what the word is saying and so anyway you can share that with your pastor Uh, through posting on our Facebook page or uh, sharing stories with me about conversations that you're having that we might even be able to post on our church website. Uh, We would love to be able to just hear about what the Lord is using this time, specifically our our Sunday worship time, in your life to do. And so um, speaking of that, I want to encourage you, if you have not, uh, there's um, joined our deacon over Family Ministries, Daniel, Daniel. Sidler in his um, family Bible study that he does on Tuesdays and Thursdays through Famplify. It's on um, his Facebook Live login, but there's a link to it on our website, and you can go there to the news page of our website, and you can see his invitation into that. It's every Tuesday and Thursday at 4 o'clock. And um, it's just a great way to disciple, to just, to just sort of see and participate in discipling your kids in this time where God has intentionally brought families together into a home. And so um, if you're not available in, at 4 o'clock, I think you can log on later as well. But go to our website and you can find out more information about that. Um, There's just a lot of information about that. Um, Also on our website, I've talked about this before, but uh, on the front page there's this everything you need for Sunday morning worship, including uh, the connecting points, the bulletin, the leadership um, information. There's uh, stuff in there that will help you just sort of round out your Sunday experience so that you're actually engaging in and participating in worship on Sunday and not just sitting back and spectating. Uh, for example, the, um, the calling passage for today was Psalm 116, which will also be part of your daily reading this week and will be the psalm that we will go through in our Worship in the Word time on Wednesdays as we fast from dinner and feed on His Word on Wednesdays at 6 p.m. Um, again, on our website, you can find on the on the news page how you can be involved in that. Uh, last This Wednesday, I think we had 25 people who were just part of that time and um, just walking through a psalm and and singing songs together. And uh, and so if you would like to be a part of that, we'd love to have that happen as well. I know the last few weeks have been kind of long messages and for that I apologize. I'm trying to get better at doing this this way Um, as far as just keeping track of things. I also know that that part of it is I'm just trying to share information with you while I have your attention about um, what the church is trying to do to help you stay connected because we believe Um, That the connectedness within the body of Christ is really where the power of the Spirit of God is found. And so um, I just want to encourage you in that as well. Uh, We're in a series called I Still Am um, in Colossians. We're actually taking a break from Colossians from our break from James. And uh, looking at Psalm 16 this morning, so you can find that in your Bibles, and we're going to turn there in just a minute and read the psalm. Uh, But I also want to just tell with you again why we took a break from James, which is very much a a shoe leather, um, boots on the ground, how do we walk out our faith um, book, and why why we're in this I Still Am series. Lord willing, we'll be in James again this summer. But, but I, I feel like the, the best antidote to the anxiety and the loneliness and the fill in the blank of, of whatever we're all feeling during this incredibly unique time in the world, not just in our country, but in the world, um, the best antidote for any of that is to just fix our gaze on Jesus Christ. And that's what we've been doing the last few weeks in Colossians and Lord willing, we will do uh, through the month of May as well as we walk towards Pentecost, which is May 31st. Prayerfully, we will have gathered together physically by then, and we're praying for um, the Spirit to just show himself in power during that time as well. So I'm going to read Psalm 16, all 11 verses, and then I will pray, and we will jump right into the message for today. So this is the word of the Lord. It says, Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. I said to the Lord, You are my Lord. I have no good besides you. As for the saints who are in the earth, They are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who have bartered for another God will be multiplied, and I shall not pour out their drink offerings of blood, nor will I take their names upon my lips. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. The lions have fallen on me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. I have set the Lord continually before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely, for you will not abandon me to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You make known to me the path of life, and in your presence is the fullness of joy, and in your right hand are pleasures forever. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for, um, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for that beautiful truth. I thank you for the truth that uh, regardless of what's going on in our lives, um, that in your presence is found fullness of joy. And I want to pray to that end even today. I pray that as we um, press into you by digging into this psalm, Um, this beautiful psalm of of your presence, Lord. I pray that that your joy would be made complete in us. I pray that that right now in the power of the Spirit, you would remove distractions from my own heart and mind as this is being recorded, and also from the hearts and the minds of the people who are hearing it whenever they're watching it. Um, Lord, don't let the things of this world distract us from the beauty that is you, your Son, and the eternity, the inheritance you have laid up for us. Lord, let today be used by you and your Spirit um, to focus our attention on things that are eternal. Because, because when, we, when we focus there, which is really what matters, um, all the other stuff of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. So Lord, I, I pray that you would, to that end, um, that the things that we cannot see in your Word right now, that, that you would supernaturally show us. The things that we do not know in your word right now that you would supernaturally teach us. The things that we are not yet, you would use your word to supernaturally make us. Lord, that it would all be to be better at revealing your glory to a world that needs to see it. You are a glorious God. You are a gracious God. You're a good God. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, "Amen." So, in this series that we're in, the key to this passage in in the Psalm is actually um, is actually verse 11, and it is the verse that I claimed back in January, the start of the, the start of the year, uh, January 1st, for for my verse for the year. It is um, it is Psalm 16:11, and it is. Um, the the truth that he has made known to me made known to you the path of life and in his presence when we press into his presence that's where we find the fullness of joy and in his right hand there are pleasures forever and um, i have been meditating on that literally daily since january 1st and so as part of just this overflow in the series that we're in of i still am this psalm just kept coming back to me coming back to me coming back to me so i thought why not insert it into our message or into our Um, Series so today's message is entitled I still am the one in whom you'll find joy I still am the one in whom you'll find joy there the the first week we talked about He still is the one who holds it all together the second week we talked about how he is the one who offers Freedom and this week we're looking at um, how he is the one in whom we will find our joy and the question I'm asking is how can we grow in finding our joy in Jesus Christ how can we grow in our ability to really find I mean, we, we know we're supposed to find our joy in Jesus but how do we do it like especially in a world where it feels like it's just getting harder and harder to find joy and so we're gonna look at that and see how David the the King David who wrote this psalm um, how he answers that question and how we can grow in finding joy the first is we need to by being grateful that's our first point that we find our joy in Jesus just simply by being grateful Psalm 16, 1 and 2, the first two verses of this psalm are really sort of a good morning, God. It's sort of an introduction that, that, that David writes at the beginning of the psalm when he says, Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. I said to the Lord, You are my Lord. I have no good besides you. He begins, like, th- th- this, this, these first two verses and then the last verse that I read, Psalm 11, or verse 11, are what is called an inclusio. And what it means is that be- he begins with God. That, that you are my refuge that you are my Lord that in you is all my good and then he ends with in Psalm 11 he ends with or in, in verse 11 sorry he ends with in you is fullness and joy in your right hand are pleasures forever that you have shown me the path of life so he begins and ends with God everything in between is is how he is showing us how to walk out what it looks like to, to really experience the presence of God and so um, he he begins with telling us who God is and what God has done. right? Uh, Jonathan Edwards, who was the fiery preacher during the first great awakening, said this If you have, taken a, you have taken a giant step towards true Christian maturity, when you can say to the Lord and mean it, My goodness is nothing apart from you. So when, he, when David says in the psalm, There's no good besides you, um, there's a lot of that was, that was a common sort of uh, phrase of the day. In, in hebrew back back when psalm 16 was written and so um it, it had many ways it could have been understood by the listener uh, some of the ways we might say today would be things like saying so no good besides you would be there's nothing good apart from you god there's nothing good unless you're in it god they all the good in my life comes from you god you are number one above all other good things in my life god or Another sort of tweak to that would be, all I need is you, God. Or, I need nothing more than I need you, God. Listen to the quote, um, this quote by Max Lucado before we uh, look at our first table talk question. Gratitude. And this is how Max Lucado tells us to, to be grateful people. Collect your blessings. Catalog God's kindnesses. Assemble your reasons for gratitude and recite them. And I'd actually written this table talk question before I had seen this quote by Max Lucado, but but that's what you're going to do right now in the providence of God, is you're going to pause the video and you're going to take some time to share five things that you're grateful for from yesterday or from the past week. So five things. Each of you just going to go around the room. You can do all five at once per person, whoever you're with, or you can just go around the room five times, or however you guys want to do it. But five things that you're grateful for. And then here's what, what I'm asking you to do. Make this a daily habit in the coming weeks. Every day, I get up, I go good morning, Lord, and the first thing I do before I even get out of bed is I is I think, okay, what are five things that happened yesterday that I can thank my God for? Right? Because our walk with Christ begins by acknowledging our need and ends with overflowing gratitude. That's what we saw last week. In our Leader Helps, uh, which are on our website, you can print them off on our Leader Helps. There's some additional questions that go along with this. Um, And so if you did not get those, I would encourage you, especially uh, men in the family, whether you're husband, fathers, but whatever, stop right now, go to the website, print off the Leader Helps and use them to help lead your family's discussion. Okay, so today's question that we're asking is how can we grow in finding our joy in Jesus? And the first thing was by being grateful. The second point is by being with God's people. Now I, I get that that's sort of a um, an odd point to have during this time when we're not allowed to gather physically right now, um, but it doesn't change the truth of what David wrote. And and so we're going to see this in the next few verses uh, that 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 we find joy in Jesus by being with God's people, right? In Psalm 16, verse 3, he says this, As for the saints who are on the earth, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who have bartered for another god will be multiplied. I shall not pour out their drink offerings of blood, nor will I take their names upon my lips. Because the Bible has always sort of talked about two types of people. And they're not they're not good people and bad people. They're God's people and the people who are not yet God's people. Right, that's it. Those are the, those are the two types of people that the Bible consistently refers to, and and David is talking about that here. It's the same thing that he, in Psalm one. David wrote, "How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, the ungod's people, people, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his word he will meditate day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted, who who." Yields its fruit in season. Its leaves do not wither. And in everything he does, he prospers. That's God's person. And so there's this there's a a dichotomy. And you say, well, no, but but that Psalm that that doesn't sound very grace centered That doesn't sound very New Testament. Well, Paul in First Corinthians 15, which is after he writes the love chapter of First Corinthians 13 about how loving we're supposed to be as Christians and we are. In chapter 15, he says, hey, don't make any mistake about it. Bad company. Corrupts good morals. He's talking about being with people who are not God's people and letting them Influence you instead of you being an influencer on them So this these few verses three verses three and four are talking are telling a tale of two types of people So here's here are the two types one is the Saints the godly ones the holy ones might be what your Translation translates them as right. Those are God's people like, we're, we're not saints because we're better than anybody else, other than the fact that the blood of Jesus Christ has made us better. That's it, right? We, we weren't smarter than the people who aren't yet God's people. We weren't, um, God didn't go, man, that guy's really, Doug's really good. He's got a lot going on, and he's really not that bad a guy. I think I'll make him mine. No, he said, you're mine, and whatever I am is because of what he is doing in my life. Whatever good is in me is because of what he is doing in my life. That's what it looks like. And then he says they are the majestic ones. The word majestic really in the Hebrew is a, is a word for strong. It was actually the same word that they would use when they talked about contemplating the power of the sea. So he's saying God's people are the powerful ones. They're the strong ones, unlike the ones who have bartered for other gods, who have chased after other gods is what that really actually means in Hebrew, who have rushed after to worship other gods. Here's what David's saying. He's saying I am not going to practice their idol worship. I'm not going to when he talks about pouring out blood offerings. I'm not even going to mention the names of their gods. Right? We Also, well, in 2 Corinthians, Paul Paul writes about this in his second letter to the to the Corinthians in a passage that we've turned into just simply about dating or about courting each other, about like like to, who to get married to it isn't even what Paul was talking about it applies to dating into into premarital counsel or to being like whether you should be in a relationship with somebody or not but he was actually talking about any kind of relationship when he said in 2 Corinthians 6:14 do not be bound together with unbelievers for whatever partnership have whatever, what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? He isn't just talking about a marriage relationship. He's talking about friendships. He's talking about now. Now I know as as we're, we are to engage in the world. The world needs our witness. We're not to go, okay, well, so we're not to have a partnership with light and darkness, so we're not to um, be around those, those bad people out there. The world needs our witness, but the question is, one, what does it mean to be bound to somebody? It means if, if your best friends are unbelievers, if, you're, um, if, if the people that you enjoy being around the most are the yet unsaved people, there's a problem. That's what that's what Psalm 16 is telling us. That's what Paul tells us in in 1st and 2nd Corinthians. It's it's really clear that we are to prefer to be with God's people. Cuz in an effort to save the world, here's part of what's happened in the church today. In an effort to save the world and and to use worldly means to attract the the yet unsaved, the the church reached down Into the stuff the world was involved in as a way to attract people, and the world fell into the hole. I mean, the 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 church reached down to 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 save the world, and it fell into the world. And now there's the 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 line between the church and the world is is um, is so blurred, right? Like it's almost impossible. In some churches, it's almost impossible to tell the difference between between whether if you went to that church and you went to some concert or even, or a play, and I'm not talking about the style of music and say, I'm just being, I mean the culture and the environment and what's going on there. Like, is there much of a difference between what's going on in many of the churches in our country on a Sunday and a Tony Robbins, um, how to fix your life, um, um, rally? Like the answer is no, the, the, it's very similar and that's not the way it's supposed to be. So, so as we're trying to win the world, we should not be using worldly things. And one of the things we should be using is helping people see our joy in Jesus. So how do we find how do we get better at growing in finding our our joy in Jesus? Well, well, if if one of the answers is by being with God's people, where do God's people hang out? The answer is the church. This where do the saints hang out? Well, if you read if you've read the New Testament, from, the, from, from Acts on, the saints and the church are, are synonymous in so many ways. God's people gather together. That gathering together is called the church. There's two whole sections of this in the toolkit that hopefully you have a copy of. Um, I'm sure there's one on the shelf behind me here, but um, that talk about why the one another's and why the church matters. and, and um, and I'm talking about the local church, because guys, I, I've said this a few times during these during these seven weeks, but but not in the last few weeks, so I'll say it again here. This is not church, right? We need to constantly remind ourselves this is not church. That's why I'm sitting at a table and I'm not standing up because I would much rather be doing that, um, but I want to remind myself that this is not what the body gathered looks like. Watching something on a screen is not church. Guys, neither is inviting one or two other people or other families from outside of your, your you or your family into that experience. That's not church either. The biological family. Is, I, I heard this was taught the other day recently here, where somebody said that the church that your home is the first church is your first church. That's just not true biblically. It is not a biblical statement that your home is not your first. It is your first ministry. Absolutely, 100% right like dads in particular if you're a single mom moms um, we are called to train up our own homes absolutely but our homes are not the church ne- neither are one or two hand-picked people gathering together that is not the church either but but guys he, here's why get I've said that before I know sometimes when I say that that offends some people but here's why it here's here's the whole it, it came the other day why why is my home not the church why is just having a few of my friends that I kind of enjoy being around have a lot in common with coming together to meet for a Bible study how is that not the good stuff good stuff but how is that not the church the answer is because of who fit them together who called the group together and what gifts are present there guys if 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 what we believe is that the church is a supernaturally supernatural entity knit together by the holy spirit if i'm picking the people if, if all i said was the only people allowed to come to cornerstone are the ones i hand pick who's building cornerstone church the holy spirit or me well if, if i'm building it it's not the church right now some people have this idea that they'll, they'll talk about i mean, you know what i'm down with jesus I'm even down with the Capital C Global Church. I'm just not that bought into the, the importance of the local church. Here's what I'll tell you, and I'll get off my soapbox on this, um, which has kind of become one of my new soapboxes is the importance of the local church. Jesus Christ is coming back for his local church. How do I know that? Well just read the first three chapters of Revelation. Right when Jesus, which is the inauguration of His return, right, is, is revelation, and and He addresses the global church. No, He addresses local churches because that's who He's coming back for. A bride made ready are the individual local churches that He is going to come back for. It is so important that you be connected to one of them. If you don't have a church home, if you're watching this in Cornerstone has not been your church home, I would invite you in. Let us know. We would love to to help you get connected um, now and once we're able to gather back together again. I, I'm all for Bible studies with friends. I'm all for gathering together just for fellowship. It's not an it, it's it's not an either or. It's a both and. But if what we're saying is, I. I don't need to attend church because I do this instead this being I hang out I I have this Bible study I go to I go to this men's group that is not a biblical concept and it does not fit with what David is teaching us here because we are picking the people that we want as opposed to saying God bring us your people that you want in our lives to do the work you're trying to do in our lives so here's the table talk question what are you most looking forward to when you are able to gather again? How have you sensed or seen the presence of the Spirit of God in the midst of the gathering of the people of God? So take it just, a, just take a couple of minutes, pause the, the video, and, and just reminisce. Like What are the things you're looking forward to when, when the church gathers again? And how have you seen in those gatherings the Holy Spirit at work? Okay, so today's question. How can we grow in finding our joy in Jesus? First, it's by being grateful. Second, it's by being around God's people. The third point is by celebrating his story, by celebrating his story in your life. It is a story worth celebrating if you're his. Look at Psalm 16, verse five. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. Because do you, do you get what he's saying there in those verses? Do you, do you remember in our during when Daniel and Chad took us through the seder meal and we talked about the four cups there was the, the cup of deliverance, the cup of redemption, the cup of sanctification. he keeps us from the cup of wrath. Um, like here's what he's saying here. He's like he's like, the Lord is my cup. The, the Lord is my portion in my inheritance. He is my bounty. He is. He is my part of the treasure that is in store for me. What what fills David's cup? What is his treasure? It's not the gifts he's given by God. It's God. He says, the Lord is. Not the things the Lord does for me, but the Lord is my cup. The Lord is my inheritance. Because It's not just God's gifts we seek. It's God himself. He is the end. Right, not the giver or not the gifts, but the giver. That's what we need to be seeking. Our cup overflows with Him if He really is. It, It can feel like our cup is half empty if what we're looking at are the things we expect Him to give to us. But when we realize that the thing He's given us is Himself, our cup cannot help but overflow because He is endless. Then he says, the lines have fallen on me in pleasant places in verse 6, the lines. That word lines there actually means cords that bind me. It, it has the idea of, um, like in our vernacular today, of rails that keep me on track. Like a railing that would keep me on track. The cords that bind me. So, so in our in our storytelling, like, like celebrating his story, is um, the script he has written for me. Those are the, that, that's the rail that, that keeps you on his straight and narrow, on the path he has for you. It's, it's like those cars at Disneyland where you can't actually get off the track because there's a the thing in the middle that keeps you from wandering too far to the left or the right. It's, that's what the lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. We might say the chapters of, our, of the story, of the book that he's writing, the paragraphs, the sentences, The words. They have fallen on me in pleasant places. What he is, the story he is writing in my life is good. David writes it in Psalm 139 this way. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were written for me all the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. He's saying every chapter, every, every paragraph, every sentence, every word was written out for me by God before there was one of them. And, and he's like, and that's a good thing, right? Paul says in, in, in Ephesians chapter 2, when he, when he gets done talking about here's what the gospel is and what the gospel's done for you, he says, for you have been saved by grace through faith, that you were dead, now you've been saved. And he said, and oh, by the way, you are his workmanship, saved by Christ for good works that he prepared beforehand. He wrote the story of your, of what you were going to do for him before you were even saved that's a good thing our problem is guys here's our problem we make today's part of the story everything we make we make this word maybe this sentence maybe a paragraph if it's a season of life we make it everything why because we fear getting we don't want to get old we don't want to get sick, and we don't want to die. Because we're not—I don't think we're fully convinced that death is—is is a as a believer in Christ is really gain, as Paul tells us, right? Guys, death is not the end of the story for a Christian. It's just the beginning of the story, and here's the thing: it's the best part of the story. What happens after we die as Christians is—is is the best. part part of the story. All of this that's going on in our lives right now is just an epilogue. It's it's just the epilogue or the introduction to the story. And and there, I'm sorry, it's just the prologue. There is no epilogue. I don't know why I said epilogue. There is no epilogue or a story. It just goes on forever and ever and ever. But everything that's going on in our lives right now, this our whole existence, from the moment I was born till I die, the the story he's writing about that part of my life is just the prologue. It's just the introduction. It's it's why as a Christian we should live prepared to die because when we die we're prepared to live. Guys, everyone lives forever. You've heard me say this before. Everyone lives forever. Everyone has a forever life. The only question is address. Where are you going to spend eternity? In with Christ in the new heaven and the new earth for all eternity, or apart from him for all eternity in hell, and your assignment, your address and your assignment, what are you going to be doing? And and, and today matters for those two things. What you decide today, if if today you have heard his voice, do not harden your heart. Come to him. Repent and believe in the gospel that Jesus Christ came and did for you what you could not do. He said I will take the punishment for them, Father. And it is finished on the cross. And what we do today matters in because of what we will be doing for all of eternity as well. But our problem is we make today everything. Guys Our life is a line that goes on forever and ever and ever. I I guess it would be this way for you guys. It it, it is a line that goes on forever and it never ends. From the moment we're born, it just keeps moving forward and there's no ending to it. There's no epilogue. Today's the prologue. But do you know mathematically what a line really is? I learned this, I think, when I was in Calc 2 or 3 when I was in college 30 years ago, and so I, I vaguely remember. To mathematicians, a line is just a series of dots, right? It's a bunch of dots all linked together that, that form a line. But the problem is, as is, is we start to see those dots get bigger and bigger, the number of them, so we, we, we kind of zero in on the line and the and we start to see the dots and they get bigger and bigger and bigger, the number of them decreases. The, so in other words, the, the, the amount, the, the span of our, of our vision decreases. And and the more that de- the more the the our our vision decreases, the bigger the dots get. And the bigger the dots get, the more we lose sight of the line in the first place, and the line is what matters. The eternal line is what really matters. So do you, so so guys, the bigger this life, this season, this year, this month, this day becomes to you in your mind, the more you lose sight of the line. And then all of a sudden all you can see is the dot so here's the question are you living for the line or are you living for the dot that is today are you living for the line that goes on forever and and keeping that in view or are you focused on just the dot that brings us to our Next big idea that David shares with us in verse 6. He says, My heritage is beautiful to me. My some some translations would translate this inheritance, which is which is a good translation. My inheritance is beautiful to me. It, it means literal property. I've gone to prepare a place for you where your where your assignment is going to be for all eternity, is what Jesus said before he left. Right? The land allotted to you is what David is talking about. All that guys I say all that about you know keep focused on eternity keep, and yet I know that that some of you are saying yeah but Doug, my dot, my today or or my dots have been really, really hard. right there are people in our body there are people that are that are hurting physically. They're hurting financially, they're hurting emotionally, they're hurting spiritually. And if you are and you need help, reach out. Guys, uh, on the back of the bulletin that is on the front page of our website under the weekly resources is is the contact information for every leader in our church. Reach out to us if you are in need. Don't suffer alone. But guys, also renew your mind with the beauty that is this truth that we're looking at right now. Lord, you alone are my inheritance, my cup of blessing. You guard all that is mine. The land you have given me is pleasant land. What a wonderful inheritance. Guys, keep looking and faithing forward. Keep looking and faithing upward, because otherwise this world will drag us down. Guys, remember that today is not his story. It's It's not the story he's writing for you it's just the epilogue to a greater thing that is to come verse seven it says i will bless the lord who has counseled me indeed my mind instructs me in the night just lest we think that maybe david never had any sleepless nights um, he wants to remind us that that God is even with us in the darkness of night, just like He talks in Job. We talked about in Job 23 and in Job 30. Job talks about in the darkness, in the in this darkest part of my life. God, I know You're there. Right? Though He slay me, I will hope in Him. That's what Job tells us. David says it this way in Psalm 139: Surely darkness, the darkness will, will surely the darkness will overwhelm me, and the light around me will be night. But even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is as bright as day. Darkness and light are alike to you. Guys, there are many sleepless nights happening right now. I know from just people I've been talking with over the last few weeks, including me. There are are many nights where I wake up early, wide awake, can't go back to sleep, mind racing, wondering what's going on. Here's my encouragement to you. Use those times to press into God. Use those times to soak him in to let your soul just soak in the in the goodness of the Spirit of God how do I do that Doug okay I'm glad you asked rehearse this Psalm. rehearse the Psalm that I just read rehearse Psalm 16 in your mind right other promises of God sing songs of deliverance like like literally I sing to myself so I don't wake up Carrie um, I sing songs pray pray until you fall back asleep But start with praise and thanks before you go to help, right? Adore him and praise him and thank him before you come to him and go, Lord, help me. And watch and see what that doesn't do to your attitude. The psalmist writes in Psalm 121, I lift my eyes up to the mountains from where shall my help come. My help comes from the Lord who has made the heavens and the earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Guys, do you know that sleep, like just resting, is probably is, is one of the best ways we can show that we just trust God? When I wake up in the middle of the night and I can't go back to sleep, it's because I have trust issues. right? That's why I remind myself of this truth. Go to sleep in peace because God is awake. So tonight, go to sleep in peace because God is awake. When you do all this, you're going to be able to not just know, but say and feel, verse 8. I have set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Massive power there. I have set the Lord before me. I have fixed my eyes and my gaze upon Jesus Christ. I'm not going to turn my back from the right or the left. I'm going to remember who my God is. And because of that, I'm not going to be shaken. It, it, it reckons back to what Isaiah says in Isaiah 41. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. Surely I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Your tabletop question says this. It is so easy for us to forget his goodness towards us. List some reasons why. Why is it so easy for He can show himself faithful to me over and over and like that, I can forget and start worrying about the next thing. So now, take some time to share short glory stories of how he has shown up in your life recently. Brainstorm ideas to keep the good things of God top of mind for you and your family throughout the coming weeks. So take a minute and do that. One of my favorite authors is Warren Weersby, and he wrote this. What a joy it is to let God choose your inheritance for you instead of acting like the world and fighting for your place in the sun. Recognize that what He has planned for you is best, even if the dot of today does not look like it. So today's question, how can we grow in finding our joy in Jesus? One, we can be great we need to practice being grateful. Two, we need to practice being around we need to be around God's people as we can. The third thing is we need to celebrate his story. And our last point is we need to see him as simply better. Just see him as better. Picking it up in verse 9, he says, "Therefore." And I was sharing with our um, Worship in the Word group on Wednesday night that words like therefore are things that we need to really pick up on when we're reading our Bibles. There, he's saying, "Therefore, In light of everything that I just wrote, here's what we should do. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh will dwell securely, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your holy one to undergo decay. This is a messianic passage. That that last part, it's certainly referring. It's an Old Testament reference to resurrection glory, first of Christ and then of us. You're going to read about that in Acts chapter two this week in your daily readings. Um, it is where Peter gets the idea in P- First Peter one, where he says, "Blessed be the God of our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus." Right? It's the the resurrection is proof of our coming inheritance, is what the New Testament teaches us in so many different places. Because we have to cling to that, we have to hold on to that. We don't. Our, Jesus did not only die for our sins and And release us from the bondage that we talked about last week and set us free. But he rose again to to give us victory, even if we don't experience that victory the way we might think of it now. It's victory for eternity. He still is, he's still alive. He's not in the grave. He rose again. That's why I titled this series, I Still Am. It's not that I was, it's not even that I will be someday. I still am. Present tense. He's like, I still am the one. It's where the power in this series comes from. It's it's why in in the image of of that we're using for this series of Jesus reaching down into the water to, to pull Peter up out, but but maybe us is when we're drowning. It's it's he still is the one that saves us. When the waves of this world feel like they're just going to overwhelm you, and they can right now, they can regardless of COVID-19. He is still the one who reaches down and pulls you out of the water and saves you from drowning. But here's the thing, guys. Listen to this. If you've tuned me out, listen, if if, if I was able to reach through the camera right now, if we were in person, I would say one, two, three eyes on me. So everybody look at me right now. Here's the question. Here's the thing. How do you see Jesus' face When he reaches down under the water where you're drowning, pulls you up, sets you back on top of the waves, and look at you and says, Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt me? Why don't you trust me? And then he walks you back to the boat. Do you see disappointment in his eyes? Do you think he looks at you like you've let him down because you haven't he knew he knew he knew you were going to sink he knew peter was going to sink when he called him out of the boat he's not reprimanding peter for doubting he's reminding him of trusting but guys if if we don't understand that he's not disappointed in us then the full riches of verse 11, which is the key to this whole passage, can never be ours. If we don't get that he is not disappointed in us when we're flailing and drowning, and he is still saving us, because he still is the I am, he's not disappointed. We can never embrace what I'm about to read. Verse 11, he says, you will make known to me the path of life, and in your presence is fullness of joy, and in your right hands, pleasures, forever. We can't embrace that if we think that we disappoint him because because when he says, you have made known to me the path of life, if if what you feel is bitterness towards the cards that he's dealt you, like you're, you feel like your story is not a good one, you're not going to come to him. If you're envious of how other people get to live and the things that they get to have, you don't really believe he's got your best in mind. If you're just flat out mad because he had, because you feel like he promised you things that he hasn't delivered on, how would you ever come to him? Because you're not going to find your fullness of joy in his presence if you're struggling with those things. Because you're not going to step into that space. When he invites you to come out and meet with him, to come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, you're not going to press into that. You're not going to lean into him because you don't trust him. But that's why we have to keep that eternal perspective. In your presence is fullness of joy. His presence is indwelling us now if you're his. And it is, an, it is just a taste. And God's people gathered are just a glimpse of future glory where you'll be in his presence perfectly. It's not about the dot, it's about the line. And that line is a glorious line, and it's going to go on forever. And you're going to have a beautiful address and a wonderful assignment if you stay the course and live this dot, this day, this week, this month, this year, this season. If you live it in light of that glory, in your presence is the fullness of joy, and in your right hands. There is pleasure forever. But if you see Jesus as constantly disappointing you, or constantly disappointed in you, you're not going to think that what he has in store for you in his right hand are wonderful gifts. You're going to think he's going to hold them back because you don't deserve them. This is not, we, we don't deserve anything, except hell. But he wants to give us everything, and he died to do it. Because I'm going to close with this, and I've I've asked this question before, I've I've talked about this many times, but maybe not in a long time, maybe not in too long a time, and I need to be reminded of this often, and so I, I have no problem repeating this question or this statement. What comes to mind when we think about God might be the most important thing about us. What comes to mind when we think about God might be the most important thing about us. But why? Why is that? Because Because what comes to mind when we think about God is what what motivates us and encourages that motivation and empowers that motivation to do everything we do in the here and now. It's all funneled through all of our motivation for today, for how we're going to live out. You're going to turn this video off in just a minute and how you live out the rest of this day and this week. All of the motivation for that is going to funnel down to two things when you get to the real heart of it. What do you think of God? And what do you think he thinks of you? What do you think of God? And what do you think he thinks of you? So I have some, some things to just think about as we close. Do you believe that there is a God? Do you believe that there is a God? Do you believe that that God who does exist knows you fully? and yet And yet, including all your disappointments in yourself, he knows you fully and he loves you deeply. Do you believe that his son came and lived and died and rose and redeemed and, and will restore relationship with you? That he wants to. He is able and he's willing. That's the key. We know he, Maybe you know he's able, but he wants to. That's hard for me to believe sometimes. Do you believe he has gone to prepare a place for you and has treasures unimaginable stored up for you in his right hand? Because here's the real question. The real question is, has your heart been touched by the one who died to redeem it? Has your heart been touched by the one who died to redeem it? Amy Carmichael, who was um, a missionary to India in the early 1900s, back when women missionaries were almost unheard of, especially in that part of the world, um, she said this in light of this idea of being touched by the Lord. It is the individual touch that tells. He, Jesus, doesn't only love the world, but the ones. He doesn't only love the world, but the ones, so has he touched your heart? Right? Has he given you a taste of his healing grace? Because if he has, that's just the beginning. It's just the ep- It's just the prologue. Sorry, it's just the prologue. There's a grand story for us. Let him tell it. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for the truth oh, that you are a grand, glorious, glory, storytelling God. I thank you that um, you have gone to prepare a place for us and that you are laying up for us treasures in heaven as we live as kingdom people by kingdom power for kingdom glory here and now. The kingdom is here in us and is yet to come. So help us to live with that that kind of kingdom eternity in view all the time. Help us to filter what we're doing today, tonight, tomorrow, this week, this month, through the lens of an eternal focus. And Lord, for those that that have not yet tasted your grace, whose eternal address is still um, apart from you in hell, Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they would hear that by saying, by by admitting their need and stepping towards you, their headdress changes. Repent and believe. Lord, may we live consistent with who you say we are. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said. Our sending passage today is out of Jude 24 and 25, and it says this, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Love you guys. Miss you much.